Hi, this is Samantha Tan, driver of the number 38 BMW M4 GT4 for ST Racing in the Pirelli World Challenge, and you're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. car fanatics in Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, and around the world. It's time for the most famous words in motorsport. Here to give the command to start today's show is my first guest today, driver of the number 38 BMW M4 GT4 in the Pirelli World Challenge for ST Racing and UCI economics student, Samantha Tan. Drivers, start your engines. This week on Speedway Sounds... I have a special show for fans of the Pirelli World Challenge. Today I'll interview three of ST Racing's drivers who will compete in the GTS Sprint X category this weekend at the Circuit of the Americas, the Texas Grand Prix. Samantha Tan, Nick Whitmer, and Aurora Strauss, as well as Nick Longy, who has a ton to say about why Al Carter will be replacing Connor Blaum in the number 36 car this weekend. All that and more this week on Speedway Sounds. Hello, good morning, and welcome to Speedway Sounds. In case I didn't say it already, the opinions and views expressed on Speedway Sounds are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, UC Irvine, or the University of California Board of Regents. Welcome to the Thursday, March 22nd edition of Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Noah Stein. As I mentioned, today's show is entirely dedicated to covering Samantha Tan and her team, ST Racing, before their first Pirelli World Challenge Series weekend in Austin, Texas. Let's jump right in. First up will be Samantha Tan's interview, followed by her co-driver Nick Whitmer, team member Nick Longy, and the show will conclude with Aurora Strauss. Hi, Samantha. Welcome back to Speedway Sounds. It's great to have you back on this year. It's great to be back. We've covered this in our interviews last season, but for those who are tuning in to an interview with you for the first time, please tell us about how your racing career began and what inspired you in the beginning. My dad was the one who inspired me in the beginning. He's a super big race fan, but he never raced. So as a kid, I watched a lot of Formula One, and he used to take me to a lot of track days. And then, like, finally, when I was old enough, I took the Ferrari driving experience course at Mont Tremblant, Quebec, when I was, like, 14 years old, which made me, like, the youngest driver they'd ever had there. And while I was there, I got to sit in my first ever race car. It was a Ferrari Challenge, which was driven by a pro driver. And he took me out for a hot lap. And I just remember I had the biggest smile on my face the entire time. And it was so much fun. And I think that was the turning point in my racing career. It was when I decided myself that I wanted to be a race car driver as well. That's super cool. Nowadays, though, you're also in your third year as an economics student here at the University of California, Irvine. With many Pirelli World Challenge race weekends often beginning with practices on Fridays, you often have to leave Irvine in the middle of the school week. What have been the biggest challenges that you have faced balancing your school schedule and a race weekend? Uh, I think as a third year this year, we haven't had any like races yet, but I have been going testing at Thermal and in Miami as well. Um, I think some of the biggest challenges have been time management and organization, like making sure I'm getting all my assignments to, or in at the right time, 
However, I think like the biggest and most challenging one is probably the mental focus. Like one time when we were testing it thermal or every time that we've been testing it thermal, it's always after midterms or like a big paper. And I was just so mentally exhausted from those tasks that like it actually took a toll on how well I was performing just because I came in so much more tired. Mm-hmm. So I think coming into the racing season, I really have to start like getting all my work work done even earlier just so that I'm not tired and I can give it all. (laughs) Yeah, certainly. The week this interview will air is also finals week here at UCI. Is there any added pressure to have finals the week before race weekend or is it more of a motivation? Uh, I think it might be both um, having that kind of pressure. Actually, I, I, I work really well under pressure, so that's a definitely a plus, but It is finals, so it's, like, super, super stressful. Mm -hmm. I know that, like, as soon as I'm done, I'm literally flying out to Coda on the Wednesday to go testing on Thursday. So, overall, I think it's going to be a challenge, but, you know, what? I think I can do it, and I think it will help me for that race weekend. Mm -hmm. That's good. You're also involved at UCI in its biggest car club imports at UCI as a board member. And I definitely can't neglect mentioning your car culture themed personal Instagram with over 15,000 followers. What do you enjoy about the club sharing your car and racing adventures on social media and being involved in car culture in general? I really, really enjoy how everybody just shares the same passion. And with the club, I love getting to meet new car people. Um, it's so interesting to hear all like the different stories about how people got into this like car culture or what their first car was. And just I love that we all connect over the same thing. Looking ahead at your first weekend of the 2018 season at Circuit of the Americas, the big news is your expanded team, the new cars, and a new car class within the Pearly World Challenge. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you'll be racing a brand new BMW M4 GT4 this season. What are the challenges in Sprint X that you haven't faced before? Well, in the new car, which is a BMW M4 GT4, it's a lot faster, but honestly, adjusting to that upgrade in speed wasn't hard. But in GTS Sprint X, it is considered an endurance race, so there are driver changes. And I think that's what has been the most difficult for me because this is going to be my first ever like endurance racing, so say, <laughs> as you could say. Um, and Nick and I have very different driving positions. Like he is like all the way down and I need to be like all the way up. So we had to do like different seat fitment. Um, I had to get like a foam seat created specifically mm-hmm. for me. And while we're doing driver changes, it's like we have to like pull that thing out. And sometimes yeah. it gets stuck like under the wheel or something. And it's just like having to do all of that like driver change stuff is really really difficult for example uh we were just testing a thermal again and we had to practice getting all this done within a certain time frame and basically when we get into the pit lane turn on the like pit lane speed limiter and then i have to push in the wheel completely undo my belts make sure that like everything is on a mix like driver's fitment and then make sure i turn off the car and then literally like get out mm-hmm. and then run around and make sure I grab my seat over the wall. So yeah. 
getting everything done within the short time frame has been really, really difficult. But other than that, I think we've been faring very well. And I think we are prepared <laughs> for the new season. That's great. That's great. Imagine what you would have had to do before the era of, of foam seats, I guess, right? Right. <laughs> What are you most looking forward to when you're back in the paddock at Circuit of the Americas this upcoming weekend? I'm looking forward to a lot of things. I'm looking forward to seeing my entire team all together again. Um, I'm excited to get back into the M4 GG4 because it's so much fun. <laughs> and I'm excited to go racing, of course. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Samantha Tan, for coming on Speedway Sounds once again. No problem at all. And best of luck at Coda and for your entire Pirelli World Challenge season. Thank you so much. My next guest was a star in last year's Pirelli World Challenge Touring Car Class Championship, driving the number 91 ST Racing BMW M235IR to a pole and win at Circuit of the Americas and finishing third in points with five podium finishes. As mentioned, he'll partner with Samantha Tan this year in the number 38 BMW M4 GT4. Welcome Nick Whitmer to Speedway Sounds. Hey, how are you doing? I'm so happy to be on this uh, channel and this interview. Very proud to be uh, driving an M4 GT4 this year with Samantha Tan Racing. Uh, I'm really happy to be uh, apart from all this uh, year come, coming true. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about it. You have the most experience by far of all the drivers on ST Racing. With your racing career beginning in 2000 and your Pirelli World Challenge career beginning in 2009, you have so much experience that it would take almost the entire interview just to describe it. So what would you say are the most important highlights or milestones? Well, I, I, I for sure have to start from the year 2000. I started in go-karting. Everybody starts from go-karting. Uh, I did a couple years in that, and then I got really fed up with that and got into road racing right away with suspension cars and the real road racing cars. Uh, did done a lot of road racing. Then I actually fell off into formula racing. I've done a couple of formula races. I've actually ran at the Montreal Grand Prix uh, event. Uh, so that was pretty exciting too. A lot of learning curve in that. And then my most learning curve I'd have to say is oval racing like NASCAR. I've done some NASCAR in my time uh, throughout the 04 to 07 years. Uh, so putting all these careers together, circuit racing, formula racing, oval racing, it makes me, I guess, more comfortable behind the wheel. And when I get behind the wheel and I I just analyze the track. I just go for it, and I could I could analyze each corner in different types of vehicles, and it just makes me go faster, I guess. Yeah, it's super cool. You've driven with a variety of teams over the years, but what motivated you to join ST Racing for the 2017 season last year? I, I actually went into Pirelli World Challenge in 2016, and ST Racing didn't have a team yet, and Samantha, she was actually driving on another team, and that team actually fell through. They couldn't actually continue the season after the first event. Mm -hmm. So somehow I actually was right there at the right time, met up with her, and I actually continued on uh, carrying her car. She was driving, driving a Civic Si. I was driving a Honda Accord at that time in 2016. And then uh, throughout the year, we were together. And then the year after, they decided to make a, their own team, and they just took me on board with them. They liked me a lot. I liked them a lot, and we get along really good. That's very cool. So this is your sixth season in Pirelli World Challenge and the second season with ST Racing, as we were talking about. But this year is a new challenge for you. It's your first season in the GTS Sprint X class. What factored into the team's decision to race Sprint X instead of Touring Car or the traditional GTS class? I'm guessing it got to a point now where we did more track time. So to go get more track time, TC class is really one driver, one car. So we do sprint races. It's 40 minutes, do or die, and that's what it is. 
the team want to go more in the direction because I think in the future we want to head towards the IMSA series or Pirelli World Challenge in the Endurance Championship. So we need to get together and start start fresh in the GT uh, Sprint X, which is the first step up for the endurance racing. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and Sam, Sam and I could get together in that. We're driving both the same car, so we both have to comply with each other. We both have to save the car for each other. And we have to work as a team. And also team has to be there for the pit stops and also all the other factors around that. Indeed. With the new Sprint X format, you have a 60-minute race, including a driver swap. So how have you, Samantha, and your team have been preparing for COTA, Circuit of the Americas? We've been, uh, we've been practicing a lot, actually, this winter. We've gotten, uh, we, we're actually in, we're posted in Canada, so we don't have much track time here. We have tons of snow, so we can't really just go out yeah. anytime we want and get in a, get in a race car. So we actually did some times out, uh, out in California at Thermal. We did the uh, PBIR in Florida. We've gone around uh, in the wintertime. We've gone around everywhere and done our practices for our pit stops, practice driver change, and all the things we need to do before the season started. And we actually got a chance to get to Coda uh, before our season started and actually some good times there. So we're happy to get to race one. Very cool. All of those places are guaranteed to have warm weather for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the car's abilities so far? the BMW M4 GT4. Have you driven anything like it before, or was it your first time driving a GT4 spec car? Honestly, my, my main background is really front-wheel drive. All my years I've been driving were front-wheel drives, except for the mm-hmm. Formula cars I've done a couple of times and NASCAR for the four years I've done. But apart from that, was all front-wheel drive. But last year, in the, uh, I did the M235, finished very well in that, and I really appreciated how a rear-wheel drive acts on a racetrack. I didn't think it would react like that so i was really happy when you put a front wheel drive method driver in a rear wheel drive car it does everything you want to do with the gas pedal and the steering wheel the way you want it to turn so and then when i got into this gt4 it's just like wow it's just all the stuff that you were missing out of the m235 is just there in the gt4 and it just makes it easier to drive that's great and as i mentioned you won last year at circuit of the americas what made that particular race the best result of the season for you and the team? Uh, that, that that track, I I don't know what what it is with that track. Actually, I just since day one I've gone there. I had bad experience with my Honda Accord in 2016. There, we repaired the car. Well, I repaired the car uh, throughout the night because I was the only re- mechanic on that team. Mm-hmm. So I fixed wow. the car throughout the night, got to the track, and finished second. And the year after, when I got to there, I did a second and a first. I don't know that track. Just I, when I get there, I'm happy. It's just a beautiful track, facility. It's an F1 track. It's wide. It's beautiful. you got so much action you can do. It's technical. It's got everything I love there. And I'm, every time I go there, I'm happy. I guess when you're happy at a racetrack, you do well. Yeah, do you consider it one of your strongest tracks? I, I would say it is one of my strongest tracks because uh, there's a lot of tracks that I've gone to and I said I'm strong here and I've, I've failed. And then that one, I've gone there positive and I haven't failed yet. So I'm going to say that's my positive one. Pirelli World Challenge made a schedule switch for this year, moving the code around from September up to earlier in the season in March. Will that make a major difference at all? I actually like that, actually, because uh, last year we had extreme heat going on in the in Circuit of the America. That Texas weather in the fall, it's really hot there. So we had some overheating problems last year. I don't think we'll have overheating problems in our new GT4 because it's a different, different race car than the M235, but still, we don't want to take that chance and Going into Coda at this colder temps, I think we're not going to have any of those problems, and we could just focus and drive and go fast. That's great. 
I'll conclude on a get-to-know-you kind of question, something I'm often curious about as a fan. Is there any driver in Pirelli World Challenge right now, outside of ST Racing, that you're close friends with? You know what? I did, I'm new to the, to the American world and racing industry, so I've only been there for twice. But I could say my brother races in the Pirelli World Challenge, Carl Whitmer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could say he's my closest friend, that's for sure. Uh, rival, I think it would be Gregory Lifu because he's been in there last year against me, and I know he's coming, uh, coming against me this year, and we're going to have some fun battling it out on the track. Indeed, that was a heck of a end-of-the-season battle at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. I remember seeing that on, oh, the, yeah. on the live stream for sure. Thank you so much, Nick Whitmer, for spending some time on Speedway Sounds to talk about the upcoming season in Pirelli World Challenge. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show, and I'm so happy to be with ST Racing. My next guest today works behind the scenes as a manager for driver Aurora Strauss, who you'll hear from in the last segment of the show, and helped Connor Blaum as well while he was Aurora's teammate. Connor was originally going to be interviewed on this special until a late-breaking story developed at ST Racing last week. Here to tell us about the recent news is ST Racing's Nick Longy. Hi, Nick. Welcome to Speedway Sounds. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a busy week, I'm sure. Please tell us about what's going on with the announced second ST Racing pairing with Aurora and Connor for the number 36 BMW. Absolutely. As far as what we were going to do this year in terms of driver pairings, obviously we've got Nick Whitmer and uh, Samantha, which is one set team in the Sprint X format. Mm-hmm. The other team was going to be Aurora Strauss and Connor Bloom. And Aurora and Connor were teammates last year in IMSA. They're just a good good combination, you know, a good uh, good pair. The issue we came up against is that what we were trying to do in PWC, so Pirelli World Challenge, mm-hmm. um, the issue we had was the following. The, there are two categories in SprintX GTS, one that they're calling Pro-Am and one that they're calling Am-Am. Okay. The distinction being that they're basing themselves, in other words, deciding who's a pro, who's an Am, on the FIA driver rating system. Yeah, so the FIA uh, driver rating system, as, as you're saying, can you describe a little bit about that and maybe why it's affecting your driver pairing? Too long to get into why they started it. It was a bit of a, I believe, sort of knee-jerk reaction to a uh, economic, you know, the crash 2008, but that's, you know, that's another story for another day. Mm-hmm. What it is, is it's an attempt to categorize drivers based on a number of factors, one of which is experience level. That's the biggest one. And another one is sort of professional status. And you could say speed or consistency, I guess, but that's where it gets hazy. So fundamentally, the concept behind it was that if you have, you know, a 22-year-old XF1 driver, that that was not necessarily a person that a gentleman driver would ever have much of a chance to compete against. In Pirelli World Challenge, mm-hmm. they had started in GT and GTM, GTA, to use a ranking system. In other words, around the world, typically, if you're gold, platinum, you're considered more of a pro, and silver, bronze, are considered more of an am. But that's sort of hazy because it depends on which series applies what, how, and in what category. So, for example, in SprintX GTS, which is the GT4 FIA category, mm-hmm. the idea is to bring people into the series to allow people to... I mean, when you have these kinds of championships, and to say that it's accessible is not easy to say because obviously racing is expensive as we know it is, and these cars are very fast. But the concept is still to bring in people. In other words, you can buy a car, you can access the equipment you need to race, tires, everything else, technology, 
and team, and you can go be and be competitive. So the idea is to have two categories: one, let's say, which is going to be pro, pro, pro am, and one, mm. In other words, no pro teams, all pro teams. And by they mean by that is anything from a factory back team, which as you can understand if you're just you know coming racing and you have a, a car and you're looking across the paddock and you're racing against the factory that sold you the car. Life's a little bit more difficult. They're typically going to have better resources. Yeah. However. GTS Sprintex, the idea would be Pro-Am, and they just drew the line at a silver, so gold could race with a silver, or, or a bronze, or something like that. In other words, no platinums, I don't believe, but the idea being that in Am-Am, you would have to have two bronze-rated drivers, and okay. there's the rub, because yeah. when you apply for your rating with the FIA in Europe, which, by the way, is in France, or Switzerland, or I think or Geneva now, automatically, if you're under 30, you're a silver. Okay. <laughs> Regardless of if you've essentially never driven the car before. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it is what it is. You then, as a silver, for instance, an Epitanza silver or a Strauss silver, you then have to come to Pirelli World Challenge, and in their judgment, they have to allow you, based on their own judgment, to race essentially as a silver with an asterisk or as a re-ranked, quote-unquote, bronze in PwC. Interesting. Okay. You can understand that, that makes sense in a way because, you know, you can if you've just started racing and you get in one of these cars, it's going to take a little while. You need, you need a little bit of a, a head start, you know, in order to, you, you need to be able to be competitive. And they wouldn't have anybody in their series that didn't allow that. So that's fair enough. But here's the problem. Not only do they go by the ranking that the FIA gives you, they have to make their own decision to, in other words, lower you down in a rank. Mm-hmm. What they do is they look at your lap times, among other things, the amount of years you're racing, and what's become sort of this universal way of looking at driver's ability to some extent, and that's 10 and 20 lap averages in a race. So not only do you need to have that record where you have 10 and 20 lap averages that, that they can look at, uh, if, they, if you don't, well, then they just it's a judgment call, right? But if you do, and this is what they did with Connor, is they looked at him and said, wait a minute, this guy's going as fast as the pros. We don't want to drop him down. Really? Okay. So so, that, exactly. So there you so go. They so determined now, he was not. The issue there. Yeah, he was not. Right. A rookie or, a, or like amateur enough to be put with amateurs compared to professional level drivers? Right. And, and, you know, obviously you're going to have some guys going quicker than others. And, but then, you know, that's sort of the conversation that they, the decision they have to make is who they want racing with whom, because Connor, frankly, doesn't have that much experience. You know, he's always sort of been a you know, guy just sort of trying to get somewhere, but here he is trying to get somewhere based on, you know, his ranking. He could be in this category, but he's now being told, sorry, you're driving too fast. You can't race in this category. You have to switch to Pro-Am. Yeah, Their answer is going to be, well, go ahead and enter in Pro-Am, mm-hmm. which you could say, fair enough. He's a quick enough driver. We could do that. But there was a decision within the team that I fully agree with that we have two cars and that one would be Pro-Am and one would be Am-Am. The idea oh, being yes, yes. you want uh-huh. two chances to be on the podium uh, you know, because each category has its own podium and own point structure and own championship. And as much as possible, you'd rather not be racing against your teammates. Yeah, that is a very interesting team. decision that I, I noticed the team made. Yeah, to put one car in Pro-Am and the other car in Am-Am. But yeah, so then with that, it, it leaves Connor out. Like, it's not the fault of PwC. It, it's just the way that the structure is now. You can see a situation which has occurred a lot, which is you get kids or drivers who are doing everything they can, hustling. You know, we all know how hard it is to make it happen, racing and getting a bit of success, 
getting to the point where they're sort of internationally sort of starting to get somewhere nationally or internationally, and then they suddenly get ranked gold, at which point the numbers of available rides start to go down. You see what I mean? It, it's sort of the world is upside down, where the further up you go, the more experience you get and the more talented, the more payoff you have. This ranking system has done has shrunk the opportunities for people moving up the scale. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for explaining the the complexity of this system. It's a system that not a lot of fans are familiar with. It doesn't make headlines very often, and it doesn't seem like very often it results in a driver getting ejected from a team or a driver pairing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is one of the examples of how it how it does affect yeah. a team. Yeah. Thanks. And again, I uh, I can tell the fans, and just as a general rule, as I you know hear myself talking about it, I have a fundamental rule that says. If you have to explain to the fans what they're looking at, at things like rankings and stuff, you probably shouldn't do it. What they want to watch is the race, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's very important. Thank you so much, Nick. All right, thanks. My next guest today is one of ST Racing's new recruits for 2018 for the team's second GTS Sprint X car. She began her racing career in the global Mazda MX-5 Cup at 15 years old, and in 2016 she joined the IMSA Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge as the series' youngest driver at age of 17. She'll make her Pirelli World Challenge GTS Sprint X debut at Circuit of the Americas in the number 36 BMW M4 GT4. Hi, Aurora Strauss. Welcome to Speedway Sounds. Thank you so much. So please tell me about the first time you were in a race car or first time you remember being in a race car. Like what car, what track, maybe what inspired you to try it? Yes, yeah, so my dad always wanted me to learn safer driving skills and car correction skills just because you can never know what the weather is going to be like in New York. And if you hit one patch of black ice, you know, that can be a total car in a really bad day. Um, so we never really had any solid plan on my getting behind the wheels. And one day, Stephen McLear had a last-minute cancellation with someone who he was going to instruct. So I got behind the wheel of a, a Mazda MX-5, like an old Miata, and... You know, it's once you get the bug, um, you can never go back. So it's a slippery slope. And once I went over 100 for the first time, I think that was my eureka moment. You know, like that was it for me. So from oh, wow. there, I enrolled in a three-day race school. And I was awful. I can admit that now. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I was the slowest among 30 students there. And I think that... One of the most defining moments of my racing career was actually one of the instructors at that race school taking me out on track just to kind of give me supplementary help after hours. And when we came into the pits, he told me that he just doesn't think I have it. And it might be because I'm a girl and it might be because I'm young, but oh, really? he just doesn't think that I can make it. Wow. So, yeah, I know. So that was the, um, you know, as, as a 13-year-old girl that had happened to grow up with a really loving, really open, encouraging family in the middle of, you know, like Metro New York. The first time that I had really been categorized as like unable to do something by virtue of my gender or my age or my experience. Yeah. So I think the first sure, time so I took the green flag, that's what motivated me the most, like yeah, so being really determined to prove him wrong, um, no matter how much time it took me. Wow. So yeah, when was that first race for you? The first race... I think it was 16. It was MX5 Cup. I actually did almost no club racing. I did uh -huh. a couple of one-off six-hour enduros, and that was it. I mean, my first real green flag was a semi-pro race. Wow, very cool. 
You're also, Thank you. You're also part of a trend I've seen grow in recent years in which young drivers continue their racing careers while also pursuing higher education. You graduated high school last year. You're also the first that I've heard of that will be attending an Ivy League school since you'll be starting your education at Harvard University this fall after a gap year. Uh, what's your major going to be, and are you counting down the days until you start? Yeah, so I'm looking to major in either mechanical engineering, English, or both. Um, both at this point is a lofty goal, considering how much racing is picking up and the fact that I'm going to try to do that while I'm in school full-time. I am trying to start to answer your question. I really miss classes. Taking gap year was a good choice, but um, I can't wait to actually be enrolled and to go back to that day-to-day routine. I'm actually working at a startup in Boston, and I live in an apartment like right by Harvard Square. So I am really like friends with all the people who I would otherwise be in school with, but I'm not enrolled. So I'm oh, excited wow. to officially be there. Yeah, very cool. So what was the, your biggest factor in taking a gap year? Um, I think that there were just a lot of opportunities that I knew I would never take if I didn't take this year off. So racing was one of them. You know, I developed a lot of momentum. And I knew that this is kind of my make or break moment where I could either choose to continue pursuing it and it would take a lot of time and effort and energy just to continue, you know, looking for sponsors and just traveling out places all the time. And that constant traveling and dedication to something is never something that I would be able to do at the level I was at while I'm in school. But now that I've developed momentum over this year, I'm more confident that I can enroll in August having you know, developed kind of a certain rhythm, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like Samantha, you've also been an advocate for increasing female representation in motorsport. You're promoting the initiative on your social media, hashtag Girls With Drive. Please tell us about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Girls With Drive actually has been a really long-term process. It's it's grown a lot over the years. So it started as just a simple hashtag, Women With Drive. And to me, the Women With Drive hashtag embodied what I was trying to do, which is you know, show that There's nothing necessarily stopping women from getting involved in male-dominated industries. All they have to do is be there and try. And it evolved into Girls with Drive this year. Um, I started working full-time at a tech startup in Boston called ZapRx. Mm -hmm. And being in the tech world and the business industry um, has taught me a lot about how, you know, racing is less of a boys' club than a lot of other industries. So, good example is like only two or three percent of venture capital funding goes to women and I happen to be at a woman-led company you know at ZapRx but that's extremely uncommon so you know five percent of fortune 500 CEOs are women there, there's so many stats out there showing that like there are so few resources that go to women and a lot of it is just because they aren't out there like there there isn't a critical mass of people so and you know politics is also largely led by men as well. There there are a lot of things out there that have nothing to do with STEM or racing that are at least as important. For so sure. the new goal of Girls with Drive is to I guess inspire, identify and invest in younger girls, so maybe ages 8 to 18 that are really interested in getting involved in specifically male dominated careers. So politics, I mentioned business, I mentioned STEM and um, my motorsports, my racing is a marketing platform for that, but the goal is way broader. So the very first baby step is I've started working on educational programs with Girl Scouts that are coming to my races. And I'm just kind of letting it evolve from there and seeing what happens. But I'm lucky to have sponsors and partners that are, you know, helping fund it. Um, and we'll see what that, we'll see how it goes. That's, I need to interrupt real quick and say you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You're listening to Speedway Sounds. 
and I'm currently interviewing Aurora Strauss, driver in the Pirelli World Challenge for ST Racing. Fascinating. That's amazing. Thank you. So with that in mind, very recently the debate over yep. equality regained international attention after a member of the FIA Women's Commission, Carmen Jorda, claimed that the open wheel racing series Formula E is easier for women to drive in versus Formula One and that they should pursue the careers there instead of Formula One. In your opinion, is physical strength a significant obstacle for women or maybe a more significant obstacle than it is for men? Yeah, so I actually wrote an article about this in Chalopnik. Like many other women in the racing industry, I feel really strongly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the best way. So I think that in a lot of ways, we haven't been asking the right questions, right? So, you know, put it where credit is due. Jordan has built a career for herself and is on the international radar as this like really successful female racer. That being said, I think that you know, the, the question isn't necessarily whether or not it's harder for women to wheel a car. Um, it's are we capable of doing it, right? And I think that time and time again, especially in the last five or so years, women have proven that they could. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was starting out and I was 13 years old, and it was really hard to find female role models. And they were out there, but you had to actively look for them. And right now, I feel like they're everywhere. And, you know, it's it's women are rising more and more to, you know, at like – in terms of publicity and um, the national stage, it's like there's Pippa Mann, there's Catherine Legge, um, there's people like me and Samantha. So I think that just making sure that there are role models out there proving that people can be at least competitive is kind of the operative thing. And it's, you know, she's, she's right that in formula cars, sometimes women do have to train harder, but the reality is you're going to train harder. For sure, and one example I usually like to cite is Christina Nielsen. She's two-time defending IMSA Grand Touring Daytona champion. Yeah, exactly. It's you know, it's you put as much work as you can into it, and that's you know, you you get as much reward out of it as you put in. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. As Nick Longy mentioned earlier in the show, there's been some last-minute drama at ST Racing with the originally announced co-driver Connor Blum. It's rare for announced drivers to not be able to take the wheel at the last minute. So how has this affected you and your preparation for Austin, having him switched out at the last minute? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely thrown things for a little bit of a loop, but I should start off with, I mean, I had a really amazing season with him last year, and if I could be driving with him again this year, I absolutely would be. You know, we, we just couldn't make something happen at the end of the day for various reasons, um, but he kicks ass out on track, and I'm, I'm looking forward to future opportunities with him, not just in Pirelli World Challenge, but in other sanctioning bodies. And, you know, we'll see what happens short and long term. Um, as for how it's affected preparation for the season, um, the reality is, you know, I'm going to get into the car, and I'm going to have a co-driver that is just, just slightly less prepared than we would otherwise be. And I'm actually lucky enough to have a co-driver like Al you know, for – for this race at Circuit of the Americas, who couldn't be faster, couldn't adapt more quickly, um, is really quick, like one of the nicest people you could ever meet. So I, I did look at in that sense that I know that Al of all people can handle the challenge. Yeah, for sure. Al Carter was named as your co-driver. So yeah, your thoughts on having mm-hmm. a Rolex 24 class winner as your teammate as well. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I actually got to know Al a little bit in January because in a crazy last-minute deal, we ended up racing together at Daytona um, in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. So I've gotten some FaceTime with him in the last couple of months. He is, how do I just 
he's crazy in the best possible way. And I mean, that's on the record. He knows he's crazy, but I love him for it. Um, he's one of the quickest drivers in the paddock and everyone knows it. And I, I'm excited to kind of balance my, um, you know, I'm quick. I, I adapt quickly to the car, but I don't have half of the experience that he does in this paddock. So being able to race with someone, um, who's so recognized is really nice. For sure. Aurora Strauss, thank you so much for spending some time on Speedway Sounds and talking about your upcoming race this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Yeah, thank you. All right, that's it for this week on Speedway Sounds. Thanks so much to Samantha Tan, Nick Whitmer, Nick Longy, and Aurora Strauss for taking the time to talk with us today, and thanks to ST Racing for helping to organize this show. Follow the show, Speedway Sounds, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Speedway Sounds, all one word. You can watch Samantha, Nick Whitmer, Aurora, and Al Carter compete at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas on world-challenge.com at 11.20 a.m. Pacific, 1.20 p.m. Central on Saturday, March 24th, and 8.15 a.m. Pacific, 10.15 a.m. Central on Sunday, March 25th. Each race is one hour long. Always wear your helmet and never ever drive distracted or under the influence, and please always wear your seatbelt. I happened to inspect my bike helmet yesterday and found a broken strap, which means it needs to be replaced, so inspect your safety equipment as well. I'm your host, Noah Stein, and you're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Hi, this is Samantha Tan, driver of the number 38 BMW M4 GT4 for ST Racing in the Pirelli World Challenge, and you're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. (laughs) 